You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I don't ordinarily start the podcast by giggling, but I was thinking about different ways that I want to introduce this particular episode, and I realized that there's a visual component that you can't have because this is an audio medium, but I wanted to share it with you so that you understand what's happening in the recording of this episode with David Kaplan. I will get to that in just a second. I want to tell you House of L is brought to you by David Hochberg and folks over at Team Hochberg. If you are buying a home or you're thinking about refinancing your own home, then David Hochberg is the guy that you want to get down with. He helped me. Every home that I've been in, he has played a role in getting me the financing for it. The guy is great. You should, if you're, if you're thinking about making that leap and you're thinking about buying a house, I'm telling you he can help you. Here's his number, 855-56-DAVID. Again, that's 855-56-DAVID. And if that doesn't do it for you, you want to go check out what he's got going on, 56david.com is the way that you can do that. I can tell you that he has been extremely helpful in buying a home for me. And he can help you. His people get stuff done with the quickness. They can give you a 30-day close. You got your paperwork in order. They will help you get it done. So 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Homeside Financials and Equal Housing Lender. NMLS number 1124061. This has been one of the episodes that people like, as far as guests who haven't been on House of L, this is one of the people that people are like, why hasn't Cap been on House of L? Some people think it's because I have beef with Cap, which couldn't be farther from the truth, which you'll hear inside of the episode. But, this is one of those guests. I'm so glad that we did it. I actually think if he's down for it, I want to have him on again. 
after this episode, we probably need like a six month break. But I want to have him on the podcast again because it was so enjoyable. Now, let me tell you about this visual aspect that you don't have, but I had. I do these on Zoom. Back in the olden times, pre-COVID, I would invite, I would literally, like Jason was actually at my house for House of L. And now with this new setup, thanks to David Hochberg, by the way, if we were in a better place with the pandemic, I would literally invite people over to the house because I have a studio now in the house where I record this stuff. I mean, it's really an office, but I call it a studio. And I would 100% have Cap in here because he's hysterical. Here's, here's the visual part. Since I'm doing it on Zoom, we can obviously see each other. We can interact with each other. But, You're going to hear inside the episode this, okay? Let me see if I can recreate it. <laughs> and realize that what that is, <laughs> Cap is in his basement. And Cap has got all these incredible, like, jerseys and all sorts of stuff that are hanging on the wall. He, ha- he was sitting on his couch, and his- he has a table in front of it. And as he's making his points, he is... Hitting the table. I don't even know if he knew that he was doing it. But when you hear, that wasn't me. That was Cap hitting on the table in front of him. Congratulations to Cap. He was inducted into the Chicago Sports Hall of Fame, which is incredible. He was on a list of people that is pretty great. I heard that his speech was epic. I was not there in attendance. But he was apparently, in other, you'll hear how Cap is inside of this. But he was inducted into the Chicago Sports Hall of Fame, Chicago Land Sports Hall of Fame. And his, his induction was, Hilarious. So, anyway. Who else is on the list? Oh, it was AJ. It was Candace Parker. Pat Hughes. TK. My man TK. Tommy Kleinschmidt. Katrina Adams. Ned Coletti. Tom Waddle. Oh, that had to be really cool. And they put in Rube Foster, which is outstanding. Some of you know I did a, a piece with the White Sox about Rube Foster. That was really great. I really hope that I can do some more stuff like that. I love producing pieces like that. But Cap apparently tore the house down with his speech that he had. Anyway, we had a great time in this episode of the podcast. And you'll find out a lot about Cap. There's actually a lot in here that I didn't know about Cap. And I was glad that he was willing to share as much as he did. You'll also find out about... And I think this, I don't know if this is common knowledge, but Cap and I were going to do a show on TV together. Like, that was the plan, that we were going to do a show every day on television. And you'll hear inside this episode how that fell apart. And you'll hear why this guy is the way that he is. Like, the energy that he draws from, the inspiration that he draws from, 
that makes him the crazy person that you see on TV and you hear on the radio. Buckle up, Buttercup. This is a something. This is me and the cat man sitting here talking, and I wanted to know as we start this thing off, I wanted to know what was it that drew him to what it is he's been doing for so long at a Hall of Fame level. So my late mom and dad told me, in fact, my mom, who died last December of Alzheimer's, when she was still fairly lucid maybe two years ago, she said, honey, we used to put you in front of the TV because you wanted to watch golf. You were two years old. Wow. And it was black and white TV, and it was scratchy. And she said, you for hours could watch golf on TV, and you always wanted to know. She found a letter that I had written my dad when my mom took us to see her parents in New York. And it said, hey, Dad, I'm with Gran and Pop. The Blackhawks won. How did the uh, – I'm trying to remember. There was no Bulls then. Blackhawks won, and there was something else I asked about. She's like, from the time you were born, you always wanted to know about sports. And then my dad was a lawyer who loved the law but hated the practice of law, mm. chasing – clients to pay their bill he hated all of that and my brother and i would wake up and we'd always want to fight over the sun times because the broadsheet was too big for us we wanted the little book newspaper so we could look at the box scores he was a Sox fan i was a cubs fan so that's goes way back okay so when's the point when you think this can be more than just this because i know that there's there's coaching in your background there's the newsletter is in your background. So when does it go from, I love sports to, I want to make sports my life? Um, so my dad graduated from DePaul undergrad and law school. He was number one in his law school class. My mom was a dietitian. My brother was the valedictorian in high school and he was the commencement speaker in college. And he graduated uh, from med school and then went and did his residency at Mayo. And he's an eye surgeon. And then there was me. And I was the guy who, if there was a big game tomorrow and I had a big test tomorrow, I'm watching the game tonight. The game's tonight, the test tomorrow, I'm watching the game tonight. My brother, who loves sports and does as much as me, nope, I got to study because I got that test. And I remember thinking, I can, there's no way I cannot be in sports in some way. I'm not big enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't run or jump high enough, but I got to find a way to be in sports. And my mom tells a story that we were going downtown to meet my dad at his office. He was at 188 West Randolph. And there were all these men and women, but a lot of men with their wingtip shoes, their khaki overcoat, their briefcase with the handle that they used to carry and they're running to the train. It's five o'clock. And I'm like, mom, I'm never going to be one of them. I can't be one of them. I can't do that where you come in at eight, you get your hour lunch and your 15 minute break. And then you go back to the train. No chance. That's just not me. So my wife will tell you that I have ADD. I probably do. Uh, but I knew from a very young age, there's no way I'm going to be one of those nine to five guys. I don't mind working hard. I love to work hard. You tell me I got to work Saturday night. I work Saturday night. You tell me it's going to take 10 days to complete that project. I'm going to try and get it done in eight, but nine to five guy. 
punching a clock, being an accountant, sitting at a desk. That's no life, not for me. So I was a little kid. I knew I wanted to be in sports. It's so weird that you say that because I, I got hives even thinking about it as you're describing it. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm similar. I'll work 14 hours. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we do this every day. Like, we're, whether you're prepping for a show or you're watching games, you're taking notes, you're listening to a pod. I'll work 14 hours. But the mm-hmm. idea of here's your cubicle. Or here's your office. Right. I it it drives me insane. Like I don't like think that I would be able space. to handle Can it. Can you imagine being that dude in office space? Yeah, with the with the stapler, right? The the swing line stapler out yeah, there. Or the other guy who's just give me your TPS report. No, I, no, I can't do it. It would it would oh my it, it would be it would be our version of hell. Correct. That's correct. So the goal then becomes like we have to connect with that person. Even though we 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 can't live their lives, so I guess that that plays into what it is that we do because we're trying to make it so that that those moments where they have us either in the car or on the train or at their desk, making their lives like fun, that giving mm-hmm. them something to take their mind off the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I always believe, like the guy that just left uh, the radio station I work at, Mike Thomas. He once said to me, he's like, you know, I get it. On the day after a bear game, everyone wants to talk about, boy, the, the right tackle was terrible. Or why was the play calling at that? He goes, but you got to understand something. On Wednesday, they really don't care about the offensive line did this. And why didn't that guy catch that? He said, they're going to a job they probably don't love. They all don't. We all don't think we make enough money. He said, they're probably going Ugh, another crappy day. I can't wait to get to lunch. He goes, they just want to be entertained. They just want you to give them a respite from their life because they wish they were doing what you're doing if they're listening to sports radio. It's true. It's very true. And and I take that responsibility very seriously to make sure that they have stuff. And if there's if there's serious stuff that we need to delve into, I want to be ready and prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. That can be just as engaging as mm-hmm. kind of the carnival aspect of what it is that we do. No but, but you want to make sure that you have something for them. I'm going to get back to this, but I want, to, I want to for a second go back to you in the world of basketball as you're coming up in the business. Mm-hmm. What pushed you on to, to, one, want to cover preps in college basketball as hard as you did, and how did that lead to you coaching? So I was a... I always loved Al McGuire and I remember reading books about different coaches and then the Portland Trailblazers in 1977 win the title. And I find out there's a book, the coach's art by this dude named Jack Ramsey, Dr. Jack Ramsey. And I, how am I going to get this book? There's no Amazon. There's none of that. There's no Kindles. You're going to, so, to, to uh, Crocs and Britannos back then. Exactly. Very good. So I am in my fraternity in Minnesota at the small college Hamlin University. And I find the number because again, there's no computers, no Google. I call 411 directory assistance. Do you have the number for the Portland Trailblazers basketball team? God's honest truth. I call there world champion Portland Trailblazers. They just won the title like three days earlier. I said, yeah, could I get a hold of Jack Ramsey, please? 
Uh, he's not in the office. Can I take a message? Yes. My name's David Kaplan. I'm a student. I'm a big fan of his. If you could have him call me, he's never going to call. Dude, two days later, we're having something called Friday Afternoon Club where they would get a keg and people would start their weekend. They'd all come to our fraternity and they go, hey, Cap, you got a phone call. And again, you don't have cell phones. There's a hall phone. I grab it. Hello. He goes, uh, David, this is Jack Ramsey of the Portland Trailblazers. I'm like, oh, my God. And he said, I got a message. You were looking to talk to me. I said, coach, I'm a huge fan of yours. I want to be a coach. I want to work in sports. How do I get a copy of your book? They don't have it at the bookstore here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, tell me about yourself. I'm a, a student at this university, blah, blah, blah. Give me the address. Dude, like a week later, this book shows up with a letter from him. Get out. And, and I read this book, The Coach's Art, about his following his passion. And it was really cool. And then I'm walking through the student union the next school year. It's my senior year. And I'm going to my mailbox to get my mail out of your little P.O. box in the student center. Absolutely. And I see this sign. It says local high school needs assistant basketball coach. I'm like, I can do that. They're advertising at a college. They must think I could do that. So I call. This guy gives me an interview at Kellogg High School. I go over there and he interviews me and you'll be the head JV coach. You'll be the assistant varsity if I hire you. We meet, and then he calls me like two days later. All right, let's do this. And so I'm the junior varsity coach. My fraternity brothers would come to the games. I'm the varsity assistant. And now the season ends. I loved it. We go eight and two on the JV. I'm having a blast. And now I'm graduating. And my dad and mom, you got to go to law school. I have no interest. Your father's a lawyer. At least get the degree. Then if you don't want to practice, that's up to you. I don't want to go to law school, Lawrence. I don't, I'm done with education. My parents are telling me to apply. So I take the LSAT. I apply. I get in. I have zero interest. The high school offers me, well, if you go to law school up here, we'll let you be the sophomore coach and you can move the practice time around your class schedule. I have zero interest. So I graduate college and I, I'm at home. I'm sitting at my parents' table eating breakfast. I'm looking at the Sun-Times, and you know the little transactions column? Absolutely. In the agate. And it says, Purdue University fired their assisted basketball coach. I'm like, I can do that job. So I call Purdue University. I haven't called Purdue University in 25 years. That number, now the area code has changed, I believe, to 765, but it back then. Is it 219? I was 317. 494-3214. That's the phone number to Purdue. And I haven't called it in over two decades. And I call Purdue basketball. Hi, is coach Katie available? The lady goes, uh, who's calling David Kaplan from Kellogg high school in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah. Hold on coach Katie. Hey coach. My name's David Kaplan. I'm the assistant coach at Kellogg high school. I saw you fired your assistant. I'd like to apply for that job. How old are you? 21 coach. He said, how was your team this year? I said, uh, we were eight and 16 on the varsity and eight and two on the JV. <laughs> do, you, do you have any players that could play at Purdue? I said, coach, we don't have anybody that could go to Purdue. No chance. He said, you get 10 years experience to call me back. And he hangs up.
And I hang up and I go, dude, you, you're missing the lifetime opportunity. I can do that. But I'm so naive and idiotic. I think that's me. The next day, the next day, I'm sitting at the same table. I look and it says, Northern Illinois University announced resignation of Mark Coombs, assistant coach, to accept the head coaching job at Wabash Valley Junior College. Okay, now I knew who Gene Katie was. I have no idea who the coach at Northern is. No idea. And again, there's no Google to get a phone number. So I call 411. Do you have a phone number for Northern Illinois University? Uh, yes, it is 815-753-1000. Beautiful. I call it. Northern Illinois. Hi, who's your basketball coach for the men? That'd be John McDougal. His extension is 1633. I will transfer you. Now, Purdue had the, the secretary, the whole deal. He, McDougal doesn't even have a secretary. He's it's picking Northern. up his own phone. Right. Basketball, John McDougal. I said, coach, my name's David Kaplan. I saw that coach so-and-so left and I'd like to apply for that job. Where do you coach now? I'm a high school assistant. How long you been there? One year. How old are you? 21. Yeah. I've got to hire someone with experience. My AD will never go for that, but thanks for calling. Hold on a second. You got to let me come meet with you. Uh, it, it's, it, I'm not going to waste your time. You have no chance at this job coach. Just let me drive out there. Now he died two days before the Cubs won the world series. Cause he was a Cardinals fan and he hated the Cubs. And he, I, I know his daughter said to me, Oh, John died two days before the Cubs won. Cause he didn't want to be around when you guys won it. And he finally says, fine, nine o'clock tomorrow morning. So I borrow a tie from my late father. I drive to DeKalb. I go meet this guy and you know how, like you meet someone, you go, I'm marrying that person. And sure. that's going to be my best friend. Or I don't like that person. Like you can tell in two seconds, this 64 year old man and this 21 year old guy. And we have zero in common, but I walk in and I like this dude right away. We go on a three hour walk around campus. That's where our players live. That's where the math building is. This is our arena. Here's the coach's locker room. And we get done. We get a cup of coffee. I don't even drink coffee at that point. And we drink coffee. We talk. It's a beautiful day. And he shakes my hand outside his office. He's like, David, look, you're a hell of a nice young man. And you're utterly unqualified for this job. <laughs> I'm like, coach, trust me. I can do this job. I'm sure you can. I got to have someone with experience and recruiting all that, but good luck to you. I get in the car and I'm nearly in tears going, how can this jackass not see I can do this job again? I'm so naive and dumb and young. So I leave and I'm like, I guess I got to go to law school. So I'm going through my law school prep class. And then I see there's a clinic in Milwaukee at the Hyatt Regency Hubie Brown, Mike Fratello basketball clinic. So I saved my money. I was a beer vendor at Cubs and White Sox games with my brother. And I saved my money. I drive up to Milwaukee. I pay for the one night at the hotel and the clinic, stay over, clinic, go home. The second day I'm there, they page me. Again, no pagers, no cell phones. There's 600 coaches there. Uh, is there a David Kaplan in here? Please go to the front desk. You have a phone message. I go up there. They said, yeah, your mom's called multiple times trying to reach you. Uh, you need to call home. 
I'm like, well, this can't be a good call. I call home. My mom's like, where have you been? I'm like, I'm at a clinic, mom. What, what do you need? This coach McDougal called. This is now three months after I interviewed. And coach McDougal called and said, uh, he needs to talk to you today, no matter the time. Okay. I call him. He's like, boy, you're a tough guy to get a hold of. I said, what's going on, coach? He said, well, number one, I want to let you know, I hired someone for that position. I didn't want you to hear it from someone else. And ironically, the guy he hired at Northern is the guy that got fired at Purdue. So weird. That's nuts. Yeah. And I said, okay, I appreciate you letting me know. Uh, He said, but my third assistant, the part-time assistant, which is part-time pay for full-time hours, just quit. And before we post it, if you want the job, it's yours. I'm like, done. He's like, wait, 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 wait. I talked to your mom. I thought you're starting law school in two weeks. I said, coach, screw law school. I have zero interest in doing that. I'm in. You don't even know what it pays, David. I don't care. What does it pay? It's a, the yearly salary is $4,200. Make it work into cow. I'm like, I'm in. You're in. I said, coach, I'm in. Okay, I need you here next Thursday. And you could probably find an apartment for two, two fifty a month. If you need any help, we've got a housing office. Let me know. Nine days later, I'm moving in. So now I got to go home. My parents think I'm starting law school. They are pushing me that way. I come home from this clinic. Hey, mom, dad, I need to have a talk with you. Could you sit down, please? And it's a very, very serious. And my, I'll never forget my mom goes, okay, who did you get pregnant? I don't even know if you have a girlfriend. I'm like, I didn't get anybody pregnant. I'm not in any trouble. I'm not going to law school. I can't. I got this opportunity at Northern. I have to chase my dream. And God bless my parents. They were not well off. My dad was an attorney, but he was struggling financially. He says, I don't have a lot of money, but we'll give you $500 to put in your account. If you're going to chase your dream, you have no wife, you have no kids, you should chase your dream. But let me tell you one thing. You got to chase it all in. Either you do it all the way and you work as hard as you can, or if you're just going to go out there and joyride around, you're wasting your time, our money, and Coach McDougal's time. I said, oh, no, no, I'm all in. And that started my coaching career. I was there four years. The second year I'm there, our recruiting coordinator gets sick. He's in the hospital for six months. They call me in. We're promoting you to full-time. Same money, but now you can go out and recruit. <laughs> and we find Kenny Battle. We get a bunch of really good players because Coach McDougal was incredibly connected because he came from Kenny's high school, West Aurora. And I was there four years. He gets fired. John gets fired, and he's out. Now what am I going to do? So I'm sitting in the office, it's midnight, I'm packing my stuff up, and I was offered to go back and be the part-time assistant again with no recruiting by the new coach, no interest, I've been down that road, and I type up a scouting report of every kid I'm covering in the public league, the Catholic league, a little downstate, but mostly Chicago area. Lawrence Holmes, 5'11 guard, struggles going to his left, he's elite as a passer, here's his ACT, here's his grade point average here's his coach's home phone number because there's no cells like i'm giving you stuff you can't get if you're a college coach along with directions to each high school from o'hare so you fly in there's no gps 
systems. There's no Google Maps. How do I get to that high school? Boom. You just open up my little newsletter. Bam, there you go. And I send it out. I'm hoping to get $100 from 100 schools. I know a bunch of coaches I meet in recruiting. That'd be 10 grand. And then that 10 grand will pay my first year of law school and books and whatever else and spending money. Well, I send it out. A friend of mine's a printer. He prints it up in this newsletter. We come up with this catchy name, David Kaplan's Windy City Round Ball Review with a picture of the skyline of our great city on it. And I mail it out. My parents give me money for postage. I mail it out. Lawrence, within two weeks, I've got 250 $100 checks with notes like, hey, man, this was awesome. I can't wait for the next edition. I'm like, next edition? You got everything I got. Right. I got nothing else for you. And so I said, F law school. I start going to Avalon Park, the BBR, the ABC, Merillac House. I'm in every place in the city, and I am seeing every kid, Mac Irvin and Ron Eskridge and Wolf Nelson and Landon Cox, may he rest in peace, are all helping me. And then I get a call from Kopic. Hey, man, could you come out and talk recruiting? Swarsky, could you come out and talk recruiting? The DePaul games are on Channel 9. Could you do a halftime feature on the DePaul recruiting class? And here I am. That's insane. Insane. What's cool about this is like the person who's listening to this pod, I want you to understand that this is exactly what it's like to be with Cap in the green room. He tells stories exactly this way in the green room. This is what it's like to be in in that aura. So I got to ask you, where does this energy come from? I was born this way. It's a gift from the good Lord. I was born this way. My mom is highly energetic. Uh, my dad was a workaholic. My brother's like this. Uh, my wife is like this. And it, it's just, I mean, I'm not, I have one cup of coffee in the morning on the way to work at 4.30 a.m. And then I'm drinking LaCroix. I'm not a huge alcohol guy. I'll have a little wine, but I was just, wind me up and let's go. What was it like for you to be so associated with the Cubs for as long as you were? It was amazing because that's like, everybody's got one. T like, I don't believe these dudes that say, yeah, I just got in it. I just want to cover a good game. I'm not a fan of anybody. Stop yourself. You were a fan. I'm not saying you should let it bias you. I'm saying there was some reason you fell in love with sports. And so you have a team. And I remember David Hall and I were doing our show back on the game years ago. And he kept saying to me, I'm a journalist. I can't do this. And I'm not a fan of anyone. And we got, who's the great, Bob Ryan from Boston on. Bob Ryan is on and Hall loves Bob Ryan, this consummate journalist. We're wrapping up the interview. I said, hey, Bob, I got to ask you a question because I argue about this with my partner here. Are you a fan? Do you allow yourself to cheer for Boston teams? And he, I'm looking at Hall as I said it. And he goes, of course I am. That gives me credibility when I blast them. Yes, I cheer for them, but absolutely. If I blast them, they know that guy's a fan. He's speaking from the heart. I'm like, that's my point, David. And so we've had that debate and we have a great friendship, Ha and I. But yeah, I feel like I can be that guy who's cheering for my Cubs, but I'm also that guy who 
ripped Joe Madden or was all over Jim Hendry or got that late night call from Theo Epstein furious with something I wrote or said. I'm just being me. When it comes to WGN radio and the Cubs, how hard was it to see them leave? It was hard. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be because I saw it coming because I was in the meeting when Jimmy DeCastro was running GN and he opted out of the contract because financially it was crushing the radio station where you guys at the time when you got it was CBS radio. Yep. Well, you have, I think, six stations in the market. Seven. Seven stations in the market. You can use this station to promote this and this station to promote that. And you have a music back, you know, background in some of your stations that can be used for concert. Like it was a great move for the Cubs. It was. And it was a great thing for GN from a financial perspective. My problem with the whole thing was I knew who was in that farm system. You saw it coming. I saw it coming. And I remember saying, I get it. I see the numbers. I'm in these meetings. I know what it's doing to the station financially. And Tribune was in trouble. They're going to have to sell the team. And they, and they did. And now they're, the Ricketts thing is going. And Tribune's, you know, just a mess with Sam Zell. But I saw Chris Bryant and Addison Russell and Javi Baez and Anthony Riz. I'm like, that team's going to be really good. I don't know if they're going to win it, but they're going to be really good. And then Theo's there. So, yeah, it was hard to see it go, but I saw it coming. So, so when they do win the World Series and it's not on WGN, and and by now, like, all of us have, like, moved on to, to it, to just understand, like, the way the business works. And even though that relationship goes back to the beginnings of WGN radio, they're now on another frequency. What was it like for you as a fan seeing the Cubs finally do it and as a broadcaster knowing that you were right in saying we should probably hang on to this a little bit longer? Um, see, I had already moved on to ESPN 1000. I was already working there, so I didn't have – and they'd already been at the score, I think. It, it was at BBM for one year, year and then the score – in year in, two. In year two of the deal, right? Yep, that's correct. Right. So, like, I loved my time at GN. I was there over 21 years. They were amazing to me. I loved it. I will always look at that place as home. But I had already moved on. I was doing the TV. I was there that night in Cleveland. And I'll never forget, like, I was terrified game seven. Terrified. If they lose this, I'm going to be so bummed. But if they got beat like 9 nothing, it would have sucked. But I'd be like, all right, whatever. Lost We're to the, the better team. But when you blow a 6-3 to three lead, and I, it's 6-3 after the top of the eighth, Todd Hollinsworth, my dear friend and my partner, we're sitting in this VIP area that the Indians allowed us into some room behind home plate where we're watching the game and eating food. And six three, and the Indians fans are ticked off around us. They can smell that they're going to lose. Holly's like, "Dude, let's get out of here before anything. We get ourselves in a situation here because we're cheering for the Cubs. We leave. Our set for NBC Sports Chicago is outside the stadium, maybe seventy five yards across the street. 
And we're out there and I'm pacing and I'm terrified. And now it's base hit. Now it's a double by Brandon Geyer. It's six to four. I'm pacing. And Hollingsworth says to me, dude, relax. It's six to four. It's two outs in the eighth. We got Chapman down there if we need him. It's over, dude. And I'll never forget. I turned to him. And I'm not allowed to swear on this, right? Yeah, you can swear. Go ahead. Okay. I turned to him. You can ask him. I turned to him and I go, dude, stop. You were a mercenary. You played for seven teams. You took our money for a year and a half. You have no idea what it's like to grow up with this team. And more than any team in any sport, the Chicago Cubs, there are no done deals. They could be up 200 to nothing, two outs in the ninth, and they could find a way to blow this. So back off. I was pissed. And they have, they're filming it. They have it on tape. And I don't know this. And I'm pacing back and forth. My heart's going 200 miles an hour because that's my team. This is not me just covering some game. I'm not doing the Atlantic 10 tournament. That's my Cubs. So I'm standing and we have a monitor on our set. It's 15 seconds on delay or thereabouts. Well, I don't want to watch on delay. So I walk away from the set and I can hear the speakers on the side of progressive field. Those are in real time. The radio call with the great Tom Hamilton. And all of a sudden I hear swung out and driven to deep left. And I'm like, no way. And then I hear him, the game is tied. And I turn to Hollingsworth. I go, they tied it. What did I tell you? And then he looks at me like he doesn't believe it. Then the fireworks go off. And his jaw drops. And he comes up and he's like, oh, my God, now I get it. Now I get it. I'm so sorry. I, I understand. And I'm sweating through my shirt. I'm pacing back and forth. Now there's a rain delay. And then we win. We Wait, win wait, it. stop. Stop for a second. Uh-huh. Walk me through your feelings during the rain delay. Terrified. Because we were so close. Like, if again, if we were down 9 nothing and we just got destroyed, okay, we got beat. It sucks. We got beat. We had it. And when he hit the home run, I swear to you, I wear this necklace. This necklace has a gold gavel on it. My late mom in 1958 gave this to my dad when they got engaged. My dad was a lawyer. She bought him this gavel. My dad dies of a heart attack in 2000. I've been on the phone with him. I'm driving home from the final four. He says, you coming over to watch the games with me tomorrow. I said, I'll be over. 5.20 in the morning. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, says, your phone's ringing. Huh? I'm exhausted. I'd driven back from Indy. And I, she goes, it says it's your mom. I'm like, oh, God. Hello. Get to Glenbrook Hospital. Your father is not right. Something's wrong. I think he's having a heart attack. And she says, hey, Marshall, I hear the sirens coming. Help's coming. Hang on. I throw my clothes on. I race to the hospital. And there's an ambulance at the hospital and the guy's cleaning out the back of the ambulance. My dad is 68 years old. And as I'm walking by, this guy goes, Hey cap. Yeah. Hey man, how are you? And I'm looking, I'm like, not good. Did, did you bring my dad in? He grabs his sheet and he's like, Marshall Kaplan. I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I did. I said, how is he? He goes, honest. I said, yeah, he goes, no. And I go in and he's blue and the paramedic is working on him in the emergency room. 
and I can tell he's gone. I go tell my mom, it doesn't look good. And then the doctor comes in, my dad's gone. So now the home run happens. I, and I, I wear this every day in the shower, wherever I'm at, this is always on. I grab the gavel. I swear to you, Lawrence, I'm holding the gavel and I look up and I go, dad, it can't be this cruel, man. It can't really, this is how it's going to go again. Are you kidding me? And I'm holding on to the gavel and I'm sweating and I'm beside myself with anger. How in the fuck could you guys do this to me again? Rip my heart out again. And now it's raining and I'm sitting there. No one wants to be around me. And there's a stream of text messages. There's a show called The Extra Point that Pat Boyle narrated. And they have the text messages on there. Uh, Cap's beside himself. Ryan McGuffey's like, how's Cap doing? Not good. And then all of a sudden we, we win. It's over. In my ear, Jeff Nelson, because it's still on delay, goes, it's over. We just won the fucking World Series. And they show him swearing on the set in Chicago in the control room. <laughs> and I sit down. I go, it's over. And then Holly sees it. We watch the play. I sit down. We're on in like 10 seconds. And I remember I grabbed the gavel. I looked up. I pointed. I go, we did it, Dad. And I kind of got emotional. And then I hear eight, seven, six, five. We're on. I can't be sobbing on TV. Sure so can. I go like that. Bam, here we go. And it was a four-hour post-game show. And it was the coolest sports moment of my life. When you're sitting. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sitting down to do this show where you're trying to keep your emotions in check. I bet, because I remember in 05, I got to do the post-game show on the score when the White Sox won. We were on the air from... The time the game was over was probably like 10.30-ish mm-hmm. until the morning show. Back then, it was north until, you know, 6. And I, I can't remember what happened other than I think Eddie Einhorn came on, Kenny Williams came on. But other than that, it's eight hours of programming that was a blur. A blur. I, I imagine it was the same thing for you after the Cubs won. It was insane. So we do this four-hour post-game show. The game ended 
at like 1130 Central, 1230 Eastern. So we're on till 430 in the morning Eastern. And now they want me. Is there any way you can be back to host the radio show at 9 a.m.? Yeah. How? I'll, I'll try. Holly and I leave the set. It's raining. We walk back to our hotel to the Marriott. We're starving. They open up the gift shop for us. And the guy goes, just take whatever you want. You guys won the World Series. The guy had an Indian's jersey on. And we got like two yogurts and some water and some (laughs) granola. We pile in his car. He's like, I got it. Boom. He's 90 miles an hour the whole way back. And he drops me right at the radio station. I fall out of the car. I go right in and I go on the air. Yes, it was. It's insane. And then. So that was on Wednesday night into Thursday morning. The parade was on Friday. Yeah. So Monday morning, I think it was Monday, Sunday or Monday, I go to the cemetery. I got to tell my dad we won. And so every time I go visit my dad, I always visit him right before opening day. And then in my faith, in my wife's Greek, but I'm Jewish in my faith. So it's like Catholicism, you have, uh, confession. Well, in Judaism, you have Yom Kippur. It's one day a year, the holiest day of the year you atone for your sins. So the way it's th- that you're taught is Rosh Hashanah, the good Lord opens the book of life, and then he closes it on Yom Kippur. And in that period, he writes down what's going to happen to you for the next year. So I always go between the two holidays, you're taught to go and I go right before opening day. And I always bring my dad a cup of coffee. He loved coffee black coffee. So I bring him a cup of coffee. I have a pin that I bought that said Cubs world champions. I bought him a world champions hat and I bring the newspaper. He loved the newspaper. I go out there and I'm pouring my heart out to my dad about the game and I'm crying. I mean, literally tears flow. Dad, we did it. You wouldn't believe it. And I look around Lawrence and I'm like, Oh my God, there had to be two to 300 people in the cemetery doing the same exact thing. There's pennants, red and blue flowers, Cubs hats, Cubs banners, W flags. I'm like, wow, it happened. It was like this cathartic moment that I had with my dad. You've talked about some of the, the actual tangible things that your parents have given you. What are the things that you think they've given you that make you who you are? Um, they were huge on treating people how you want to be treated and kindness. I try to, I, I just try to be as kind a person as I can. Like if I think there's something I can do that brightens someone's day, I feel like my hobby is making people happy. Seeing you happy makes me happy. And it's cool. Somebody gives you a gift. It's great. You open it up. You're like, oh, yeah, thanks. I really. But I get way more joy. Like tonight is my wife's birthday. And so I went and got her favorite food at Joe's Stone Crab. She loves their crab legs. So I called yesterday. Hey, can I pick it up right after radio? I know you won't be open yet. Yes. And then I bought two slices of different pie that she likes. And I bought a balloon that says happy birthday. Like I got it all planned out. 
Like I'll have, when she comes home tonight and the plates are set and I got crab leg, like that gives me way more pleasure than someone doing that for me. Yes. So my, and my mom was, she worked at Lutheran general hospital uh, till two years before she died. She was just the kindest, nicest person. And then my dad was this super liberal politically just but hard on me and my brother man like i remember our report cards coming in and my brother would always be straight a's and i would get back then you got little cards in an envelope and the first card was deportment that was your behavior david always tries to be the class clown david's the funny guy where my brother is sitting at his desk doing what he's supposed to do that wasn't me and that would drive my dad insane he gets so mad at me. I'll never forget it. But he was like, if you walked into his office and said, hey, I'm in trouble. I need you to represent me. And I have zero money. My mom would say, Marshall, we have to pay our bills too. Nah, this guy needs help. I got to help him. And my dad would work just as hard on that case as on any other case that he was getting paid for. And he had a murder trial. So back in the 60s, I don't have to tell you that it was a really effed up time, especially in this city. My dad gets a call. Can you help me do this case? A 14-year-old student, a, uh, a young boy, is charged with raping and murdering a Chicago school teacher. And he's got no money. He's exceptionally poor. He got no structure in his life. And my dad, he, he, the young man had be, already been convicted and it was on appeal. And my dad said, absolutely. Let me look at all the in evidence, blah, blah, blah. He does all these interviews and he comes home. And to the two weeks before he died, he said to me and my brother, that guy never did it. He was innocent. It haunts me that he still has that conviction on his record. It haunts me. But my dad takes the case. Uh, he's making no money in the 1963 or four. My dad's making zero money, but he pays all the investigators out of his own pocket. And my dad gets this guy out on parole. He was sentenced to 55 years in jail. He had served, I want to say 10 or 12. My dad gets him out. They keep in touch a little bit. My dad visited him every other week at Pontiac where he was in jail. And my dad is walking down the street a year before he dies. And my dad was a heavy guy, he had bad knees. He's shuffling along in a school bus at 4.30 in the afternoon on LaSalle Street. LaSalle and Randolph school bus is driving. It stops in the middle of the street. People are honking bus driver runs off the bus, throws his arms around my dad and goes, Marshall, you saved my life. My dad goes, who are you? <laughs> I'm Lee Arthur. You represented me in my murder trial. What? I'm a carpenter. I also sing in the church choir. I've never been in trouble. I have three kids and I never touched that lady. And you're the only one that believed in me. And my, it haunted my dad that this guy walked around as a convicted man. And do you know, Lawrence, in May of 2019, my brother and I get a phone call from this attorney who runs the center project for um, in Northwestern Innocence Project. Yeah, yeah. They had called several years ago. Do you have any of your father's files? We're looking into this case and we think this guy might've been wrongly convicted. We don't have any of my dad's files. He's been dead at that point for 15 years. 
So we get this call in 2019. Hey, uh, we've got some amazing news for you. Patrick Fitzgerald, the former U.S. attorney, now working for this law firm, got a hold of your dad's files. Where he got them, I don't know. And he argued in front of this judge that this guy, Lee Arthur Hester, was innocent. And he needs to be declared innocent, get a certificate of innocence, even though he's in his 70s now. I don't know if it'll change his life. Get his record expunged. Correct. So the judge grants the certificate of innocence, looks at all my dad's evidence. Pat Fitzgerald argues it. And they're having a cocktail party at this law firm in May of 2019. My brother and I go to it. I've never met Lee Arthur Hester. I don't know the man at all. Just know that to my dad's dying day, he said, that guy's innocent. This guy walks in, he's in his seventies and he's in a beautiful suit. He's got long hair, really long gray hair. He walks in, he's talking to different people. The principal of the school that he was a student at is 90. She's still alive. She's there. Some of his classmates who supported him are there. And he walks up to me and my brother. I have pictures of this. And he said, who are you two young men? And I go, "Uh, I'm David Kaplan. That's my brother, Bruce. Our father is deceased. He was your attorney, Marshall Kaplan. He's like, he starts sobbing. That man came to see me every other week in jail. That man saved my life. And he's hugging us, sobbing. Without him, I'm not even alive. And then Pat Fitzgerald walks in and they, they celebrate this guy. And it was, I looked up at the sky and I went, my brother and I are crying going, dad, you did it. And so that's who my dad was. He'd do anything to help anyone. And so that's how I try to be. I try to emulate him. What's it like for you when you're on the air? Like, Describe it for someone who wants to know what's happening inside your head as you open the microphone. So my partner, Jonathan Hood, you know Hoodie very well. You got, I think you were in his wedding. Yes. Yeah. So moving on up. Hoodie says, dude, you got a marching band in your head. It's going everywhere. Like, I got Twitter open here. I got my cell phone there. I'm on this different way. And, and I'm listening to all that. Like, I, I feel like I'm at peace with myself. Like, I'm happily married. I have great kids. But. Man, when that light, you know it, Lawrence, because I listen to you all the time. When you, that light goes on and you're talking, people go, what's easier, TV or radio? Once you get comfortable looking in the camera, TV's easy. It's just getting comfortable. Radio? Lawrence turns on the mic. I turn on my mic. If you're not entertaining, you ain't going to be around very long. And so when that light goes on and we're going, it's the greatest, man. It's the greatest drug you could ever feed me. Do you do you like the days when things are going great for sports teams in Chicago? Or do you like the days when things aren't going great? It's a great question. Um, so when Mark Tressman was melting down in 2014. Oh, my God. I remember saying, this is radio gold, man. I mean, every morning. Got every line lit before you start the show, and it's just, it's low-hanging fruit. It's easy. When they're really good, yeah, it's fun, especially if it's your team, the White Sox. They get this great 
you know, runway now that they should be really good for a long while. It's fun. Lawrence, the Sox fan, you love talking about it. My Cubs, when they're great, I love talking about it. You know, if the Bears beat the Packers, that next day is a lot of fun. But, man, when when our teams aren't very good and they're in the news for not being good, it's it's pretty amazing to do radio in that scenario. That, that energy is different. Like, you could feel it. You know, we're recording this the Monday after the Bears lose to the Packers. You could feel it from the moment the game is over until the moment right. that we get into the radio booth that the city is listening, that they have thoughts, that they want to know what we think. There's an energy to it that's really hard to deny. Correct. You're exactly right. And there are certain days, like, Monday after a bear game, you can ask Cody, we come in, we start at seven, we do a tease at 654 and at 656, every line's already lit. People want to talk, win or lose. But, you know, there are days when the Cubs are terrible, the White Sox aren't any good, the Bears are out of season. I like watching the Blackhawks. I know they're not very good, but even when they were good, it's not like they light the phones on fire. Sure. The Bulls will. But there are days where you got to be creative. And I remember when I was doing the show before I worked with Hoodie, when it was me by myself with, whether it was Pat Boyle or Jordan Cornette or Eddie Olchek or just Danny and Chris Black, it was the pandemic. And what are you going to talk about? There's no sports. Like, I feel like that was the greatest test of your and my career. And then I come in and George Floyd's been murdered. We have protests going on in our city. You and I spent a lot of time talking about that offline. Like, people don't even know, like, right. the conversations that we were having. And it, it had nothing to do with being on air. And I come in and I remember... Somebody at work said, are you just going to talk sports? I said, no, I can't. This is my city. These people are hurting. And so I opened up the phone lines and let people just, you want to talk? Here's your forum. And I feel like that was the right way, at least for me to handle it. The right way to be there, to give people a chance to have their voice heard. But that, March 12th to whenever, uh, what was it? Basketball and baseball started late July. Till that happened, oh, man, that was a challenge. It was definitely it, it, it was a challenge to what we could do and what our talent level was like. What, what makes a good partner for you? Um, somebody who will challenge me back. Like to work with somebody who would go, yeah, you're right, Cap. Yeah, you're right, Cap. Or me to say, yeah, Hoodie, whatever you say. Who wants to listen to that? But it also can't be contrived. Right. It can't be, if you and I are partners, hey, Lawrence, you take this side, I'll take that side. I can't be that guy. You end up losing track. (laughs) You know, like it's... Right. What was my take two weeks ago? Like, I'm just me. You might think my opinion is whacked, I'm okay with that. And, you know, a good partner, like Hoodie's amazing because this dude was relegated to Knights and he has no partner. He's got a producer who's in the middle of answering calls, running the board. So he's really not able to give him like any kind of second banana guy to him. And so 
this dude's super talented. Yep. I mean, funny, smart, just he, I love this guy. And I'd known him for 20 years. We'd done some basketball together and I would see him, you know, at UIC games or wherever it was. This dude's incredibly talented. So yeah, I hope this is the last partner I ever have. I love that guy, but a, a good partner is someone who's prepared, likes to have fun. You gotta have fun. It's sports, man. It's not brain surgery. How much longer are you going to do this, man? Um, I'll be 61 in November. I'd like to do it at least till I'm 70. Okay. Now, if you told me, oh man, Cap, there's a phone call. You have a long lost uncle that just died and he left you $50 million. (laughs) Can I tell you that I'm going to do it for 10 more years? Maybe not. My wife might have other thoughts, but yeah, I mean, I love what I do. And as technology keeps advancing, uh, who's to say I can't be, you know, at my, if I buy a house, I don't have one. If I had a house in Florida or apartment that I can't do my show from there when it's super cold out and get a couple months. Well, okay. So the rich uncle dies and he leaves you the $50 million. Where are you going? Where, where's the next house at? Cause I know that you would stay here. There would be a footprint still here, but yep. where else you going to be? So we have a lake house in Wisconsin. So I would go up there in the summer, but you know, that's just a little lake house. If I would, if I had that kind of money and I go, I can move wherever I want. I'm going to, my brother lives in Fort Myers. So it'd either be Fort Myers, Naples, that general area where I could just get out of the cold, maybe for three months in the winter, I would do that. What do you hope people say about you when they talk about what David Kaplan makes them feel as a listener, as a viewer. So I don't care if people agree with me. I don't. And as I've gotten older, I've been able to, I read a book called the four agreements. Tom Brady said, this book changed his life. I'm watching this interview. Tom Brady did. He goes, I read this book and it changed my life. I'm like, well, if it changed your life, I absolutely want to read this because you're, you're the goat and it's short. You can read it in one night and it talks about being you, which I've always tried to be way before Matt Nagy ever got here. (laughs) I had had a sign on my desk way before he was ever our coach. It said, do not conform be you. I didn't go to Syracuse to Newhouse. I didn't go to Medill. I didn't take, I, I never took a broadcasting class. So I'm just me. I just give you my opinions. I just want people to always know that they may listen to me on the radio and go, that guy's an asshole. If they've never met me, I would hope that if they ever did, they'd be like, okay, he's not an asshole. He's, he works really hard. He cares the most about his family. I have a special needs son who's the light of my life. And then after that, it's, family and then it's doing radio and I just every day I never showed up unprepared I always wanted to give you 5,000 percent and then I gave you my best every day I was on the air and I tried to treat people the right way like if you say I you don't like my talent you don't think I'm any good I'm okay with that I'm not for everybody I get it just don't ever tell me that I'm a bad guy when you've never met me and I think He's a Cubs fan. And so a Sox fan won't like me or 
a Packer fan won't like me because I fire on the Packers or a Notre Dame football fan because I hate Notre Dame football. Like I have three teams I hate. The St. Louis Cardinals because they always beat our ass at the Cubs. The Packers and Notre Dame football because I can't stand their fan base. So, you know, if you if you meet me and you don't like me, that's your opinion that you're, you're entitled to that. But that would bother me because I try to treat people the right way. Cap, I'm not going to hold you up from the birthday celebration, man. This uh, was she's not even home yet. I know, but I know you want to get yourself ready. I'm sure you want to get in a good lift, all of that good stuff. You know what? The, <laughs> I was at Channel 9, and Dean Richards, he comes. I love Dean. I love him so right. much because he's so, like, you know, I, I always feel like I'm I'm a trespasser when I'm there, even though I interned there. Like, I grew up there. And, and I, I'm always honored when Dean will say something to me because he's, you know, a legend. He's an icon yeah. of Chicago yeah. radio. And and he says, hey, when's the last time you talked to Cap? I was like, oh, you know, we talk every now and again. And he goes, what's going on with this workout now? Like, what's happening? Is he flexing in front of a mirror right now? I was like, I'm sure somewhere he's flexing in front of a mirror. But Dean was very worried about your workout. So I used to be this fat guy and I'll never be, you know, 140 pound, you know, skinny guy. That's just not how I, the genes I have, but I died on the operating table in 1991. Um, I was playing basketball at the, uh, it, it was a facility on Ridge road and Sheridan. And I'm playing basketball with some friends of mine. One of whom was a division one official named George Demos who's done a bunch of games. You've called games. He's refereed. And I go get a rebound and I come down on someone's foot and I snap my ankle and you get that sickening feeling. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I hobble out to my car, my ankles that big. And I drive myself to the hospital to Skokie Valley, then became rush North shore. And I go to the hospital. I hop in there. It's an, it's new year's Eve. My first wife, she's my fiance at the time. This is New Year's Eve of 1990, turn in 1991. She's showing her wedding dress to my mom. So I'm in the hospital. They x-ray my ankle. He said, you broke your ankle. I'm not really worried about that. We'll cast it. You'll be fine. What's going on with your breathing? And I'm, I said, I'm just scared. I hate going in house. My brother's a surgeon and I hate being around doctors and hospitals. And he said, no, your color looks terrible. Let me check your heart rate. He's like, you're at 200 beats a minute. Holy shit. And he said, and you're in ventricular tachycardia. I'm going to have to admit you to cardiac intensive care. And I said, the hell you are. He said, you could die from this. And I said, I'm not staying. He said, okay. He brings me a form and I sign it that I'm leaving AMA against medical advice. So that if I die, they're not liable. And I go home. I drive myself home, my legs in a cast, and I have my leg up on the couch. My mom and my fiance walk in. What in the hell? I broke my ankle. You look horrible. What's going on? Uh, I don't even tell them what the doctor said. They know nothing about it. Two days later, we have an engagement party at my ex-in-laws. And I'm green. I can't breathe. The next day, my ex-wife, my fiance at the time, takes me to the doctor and I go see Dr. Preston Wolin, who's the DePaul team doctor. He 
takes the cast off. He re-x-rays like, look, you have, it's not a serious fracture. That I'm not worried about it. We'll recast it. What is going on with your color and your heart rate? Your heart rate's over 200 beats a minute. It's been going this way now for like four days. Yeah. Were you even and able to sleep? No, couldn't sleep, couldn't breathe. I'm like, <gasps> like, it was awful. So he says, hang on a second. Comes back. He's like to my fiance, you need to take him to Northwestern right now. He needs to see his internist right now. And I just called him. He's expecting you. We get there. This doctor listens to my heart. He goes, I'll be right back. He comes back with a wheelchair. You're going into cardiac intensive care right now. This is no joke. I spend the next four days at Northwestern. They do this procedure. And then one more, DePaul is playing Kansas. It's a Thursday night. DePaul is playing Kansas. You can look this up. DePaul loses like 100 to 68. They get destroyed. I remember. Remember that? Yes. They get crushed. And my brother is a doctor at Mayo doing his residency. I'm laying in my hospital bed. They got IVs in both arms. And I look up my brother standing there. Well, now I know it's really serious if he flew home. And they end up doing this procedure. I wake up like on two mornings later, my heart rate's back to like 80 beats a minute in normal rhythm. And they're like, all right, it worked. We have you on all this medication. They keep me on all this medication all the way till the next fall. They take me off the medication. They're like, all right, you're clear. And my brother's not happy. He's like, dude, that happened for a reason. So he takes my medical records. I give them to him. He takes him to this doctor up at Mayo, this guy, Dr. Packer. He calls me the day before Thanksgiving. I had gotten married that summer. It's just, it's the day before Thanksgiving, 1991. And he says, this is Dr. Packer from Mayo Clinic. I looked at your records. You got a very serious situation here. And it's very rare. You have three choices. We can do nothing and it may never come back. Or when you're not 30 or 31 years old, it will come back, but you'll be driving a car and you'll wreck your car because you had a heart attack. You'll die. And what really killed you was you never got your heart fixed. Two, we can put you back on all that medication. And I hated being on this medication. Made me feel like I had this, like I was at a blanket over. I hated it. And you know how active I am. Or three, you could come up here and let me try and fix it. And I'll be honest with you, we've never operated on that area of the heart with this condition. I've never seen it. Well, what am I going to do? You know, I hear people now, I got to do my own research on the vaccine. I'm like, where's your beaker in your test tube? Yeah. What, what am I going to do? I don't, I can't do any research. So I said to him, one question, Dr. Packer, I have one question. If I was your son, what would you tell me to do? He said, good question. I'd tell you to come up here and let me try and fix it. It's 50-50. I can get you back into that bad rhythm. And if I can, it's 50-50. I can fix it. I said, okay, let's do it. When can you do it? He said, December 11th. I need you here December 10th. Done. Now, I've never met the guy. One phone call, and I'm letting him operate on my heart. We go up there. I sign these forms that understanding you might die. We could puncture your heart. You'll need open heart surgery where we crack your sternum. But this way, they're going to go in three catheters, my upper thigh on each side, and another catheter in my collarbone, and they thread it all into your heart. And they wheel me away. My mom, my dad, my brother, my ex-wife, they're sobbing. They think I'm 
They're wheeling me away for death. They're going to see you. Was, this is the last time they're going to see you. Right. I was never at peace more in my life than that moment because I couldn't live the way I was living, wondering what's going on and taking these pills. And it was awful. Here we go. They take me in nine and a half hours of surgery and they wheel me out. And he said, I think I got it. We're going to bring you back in on Monday. I'm going to inject you with artificial adrenaline. Try and get your heart to snap into that bad rhythm. If it does, the surgery failed. If it doesn't, we've got you. Well, what he doesn't tell me is that there's a chance my heart would stop. So I'm on this operating table. My chest, I'm a hair, I have a hairy chest. It's shaved. It's itchy. It's 40 degrees in there because they can't sweat. And I'm crucified. I'm bound at the feet and the arms and the head. I can't move. And they wake you up during the procedure to ask you questions. The next thing I know, Lawrence, I'm flying through outer space a million miles an hour. All I know is there's stars everywhere, a million miles an hour, out of control, head first. What is going on here? And the next thing I know, this doctor is two inches from my face. David! I said, what, what was that? He said, your heart stopped. I was prepared. We, I had to wait till you were out so I could shock you with the paddles because it's the most excruciating pain you would ever feel and you don't want that memory. You're good to go. Your heart's healthy. I put you through more stress than any human being will ever have in their life. You're cured. That was 1991 and 30 years later, man, here I am. And so I became a weightlifter and I'm, you know, really good about trying to work out and eat right and that I was that I was this guy, but that changed me forever. I promise you, whoever's listening to this, you're going somewhere. This is not the ultimate journey. I'm telling you, I was headed somewhere, and you're going somewhere. I don't know where that is. I hope I treat people the right way and that I get to the right spot. That's it. Cap, this was amazing, dude. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate your friendship. Uh, I'm glad that we we've gone from like having a nice rivalry to being friends. Agreed. And and I think that it's good. I think it's really good. And I appreciate it. And, man, we would have torn it up. And they ain't giving we, us a TV show. We'd have torn it up. We were this close to doing a TV show together, and the pandemic hits. And next thing you know, no TV show. No TV show. But it's all good, man. I'm glad that we got the opportunity to kind of hang out and, and learn more about each other. And I – uh after, with all the stuff that happened and and the way that the world changed last June, I appreciate you not only reaching out to see how I was, but also then taking the next step. That first step is kind of easy. The next step is, what can I do? And I, I really appreciate you being accountable and saying, I want to be part of the solution. You were you were adamant on the phone. Like, I want to be part of the solution. Same way you're hitting the table now. And I appreciate that. Like, you you uh, you uh walk it like you talk it. So I, I, I want to let you know that I appreciate that. Well, the, I, I first of all, to see you're a professor at DePaul, you call play-by-play, you do TV, you do radio. Like, dude, you are one of the huge success stories Chicago media has ever seen. Thank you. You should be incredibly proud of yourself, A. B, you turned me on to the Greater Chicago Food Depository. And my daughter-in-law wants to go to work there now. She is into that 
um, social worker space. And she said she lives in Pilsen with my son. Oh, it's right there. Yeah. She's like, have you ever heard of the Greater Chicago Food Depository? This is like a month ago. And I said, Maggie, Lawrence Holmes got me the, the numbers for those people. I gave money to that place and I saw it. It's amazing. I still get stuff from them. She's like, well, I want to work there. So thank you. You're a, a wonderful person. It's all good, man. Cap, go have a great birthday night with your wife. And I appreciate you. And I look forward to when the world is different and we can go and just hang somewhere. I would love to. Let's go sit and have dinner at Chicago Cut. And we'll take Ubers. We'll have a couple glasses of wine. And it'll be amazing. I love that. Be good, my brother. Stay it's well. It's an honor to be on with you, man. It's an honor. Uh, people have been waiting for this episode for forever. So I'm glad that we gave them what they wanted. God bless you. Same to you, brother. Be well. You too. So there you have it. I told you this episode was worth it, right? It's crazy. It's crazy good. And you find out a lot about what drives Cap. What makes him the guy that he is, the guy that you see, the guy that you hear. What are the things that give him purpose in doing all of this stuff? And it's fun. It's fun. I I wasn't kidding. When things were going down in June of 2020, and I think people heard me a lot on the air like a moat, and I really did appreciate the space that I got to emote on the air about things that bothered me. And I don't think that they were held against me, quite honestly. I think I think people reacted in by by a re- in a positive way. I wasn't the only one who did it. I think you had a lot of particularly black people, but people of color who were hurting. And you're trying to figure out you're trying to figure out like who's on your side and who's not. At some point, I've been sitting on this. Like I've wanted to do a a whole pod, and maybe I'll do it at some point in the next couple weeks, a whole pod about masks and, like, the John Gruden stuff, like, really hit me hard for a lot of reasons. Not because I really give a shit about John Gruden, but because of the mask that he wore for a really long time. I'll save it for another episode. But while I was out here hurting, like, Cap was literally, it's weird. It's so weird, like, the type of, the type of how people, like, reach out to you. Like, what people and when do they reach out to you? And he had heard what I had said on the air because he listens. I listen to him. He listens to him. You know how it is. And he reached out. And he wanted to know, like, what he could do to help me, his friend. But he also wanted, he took it the next step which was what can I do to try and be someone who's helpful to, to solutions, like trying to find solutions to problems. And I appreciated that. Him and Dave wants that. Can you believe that? Wani like hit me up and just was like, are you good? And that meant a lot. Like it meant a lot. Cause I've been doing the show with Dave wants for two years and I really like him. Like, I, I think he's hysterical. He's so fun to be around. And I, I enjoy being coached by him. Like, we would, he would teach me football. And I enjoyed that. 
So, yeah, man, those dudes were front and center. You know, Jason Leisure is another dude who was front and center. Man, that's like my brother, man. Like, Jason Leisure is the truth. And it just, it shows you that, like, behind the bombast, the cap, like, there's a, there's a genuine person in there. And I think that that came, I hope that that came across inside of the hour of him banging on the table and telling you stories. But it was really great to, to finally get him and for him to be a part of House of L. And I look forward to, I look forward to when he comes back on the podcast. And we had, we had actually like, I'm, I think I may have mentioned to him like in the green room, hey, I, we should probably do something. And at the time, I was thinking that it would be in conjunction with the show, the television show launching. But that didn't come to be, and it sucked. But I really thought that we could have had something. I really thought that NBC Sports Chicago was, they. it was a good choice, like putting the two of us together in a room for 30 minutes and saying, do a Chicago version of PTI. Would have been easy. And I give Kevin Cross a lot of credit because he, when he suggested it to me, I was like, I don't know. And he is like, nope, it would totally work. And then, you know, the pandemic hits. There's all sorts of revenue that's not coming in to NBC Sports Chicago because there's no White Sox games. There's no Blackhawks games. It's, there's no Bulls games. So I get it. I understood. I do wish that it would have happened, though, because it would have been amazing. And I could have increased my suit budget and, my, and worked on my suit game because I would have had to have tried to kept up with cap. And Lord knows that that's difficult. People ask me all the time, like, people, this is another thing that I'm tired of. You know what really grinds my gears? I'm really tired of people tagging me on Twitter for stuff. Like, if you got beef with, like, I don't have beef with Cap hosting the football after show. If I don't have beef with it, then you shouldn't have beef with it. And I'm not sure what the dry snitching aspect of tagging me in a tweet about it is going to do. Like, my dogs that are still there, Olin and Lance and Alex, they know that we had a really good show. And they still have a really good show. I add one type of spice to it. Cap adds another type of spice to it. But the stars of the show are those guys. The stars of my show were... Matt, Olin, Alex, and Lance, not me. And Cap knows that too. So he can just, it's easy. You just lay up for those guys because they're really good at what they do. But quit dry snitching on Twitter. This dude tweeted me today, and he's he tagged Justin Fields. Like, why are you wasting Justin Fields' time? Like, I always wonder, like, what is it that you're hoping to get? I get if you interact with people. And, and you want to tag them because they're going to interact? Justin Fields ain't interacting. Anyway, big thanks to David Hochberg. If you're looking to buy a home or you're looking to refinance the home that you're already in, Team Hochberg is the way to go. For real, for real. He helped me. He can help you. 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. I'm telling you. 
He's been with me since we started selling advertising on House of L, which is now three years ago. He's been with me the whole way. And beyond that, he's actually been with me in the journeys of buying homes. So I thank him. and I know that he, him and his staff can help you because they help me. 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. So when you go and get need that money for a new house, you tell him that you heard about him from me. Homeside Financials, Nico Housing Lender, NMLS number 1124061. Man, I'm so happy that you listened to this episode. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you learned more about Cap. God, honestly, I could have talked to him for three hours, maybe more, but I didn't want to mess up his birthday vibe thing that he had going on. But big thanks to him for coming through, giving us a great episode. I know a lot of people are going to listen to. We'll have another great episode coming up. Sports Jason will be out later on this week. I, I have no idea what they have planned, but I look forward to it all the time. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you next time. Peace. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.